Welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. This season, we're focusing on what nonprofit leadership looks like in this next normal. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode, you'll get to join me in conversation with some of my friends and peers in the Canadian nonprofit space who are changemakers and groundbreakers across Canada and beyond. Let's jump in. Welcome, everyone, to this very special episode of the Changemaker Podcast. I am so excited that you get to meet my friend, Janet. Uh, Janet has a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience in the world, specifically the world of people living with disability. And so we're going to talk about a topic today that doesn't get talked about enough, especially in leadership, ministry in the church. And um, I've had the privilege not just of being Janet's friend, but working a bit alongside her through this COVID season. And so we're going to dive deep today. So be prepared. Um, but welcome, Janet. Well, thanks so much, Alan. It's great to be here. So Janet, can you start by just telling us who you are, what you do, and why you love it? Oh, sure. Gosh, um, I might take a while, but I'll try to be succinct. Um, So yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Janet Noel Annable, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer for Christian Horizons. Um, What do I do? What does Christian Horizons do? We provide supports and services to people with primarily developmental disabilities here in Canada and broadly to people with disabilities in some developing communities across the world. I've been a part of Christian Horizons for 31 years, started um, as a casual employee while while I was in university and uh, never dreamt that God's intention was for me to first spend my life serving at Christian Horizons as well as leading as the chief executive officer in these days. So it's an incredible privilege and the journey has been so fantastic and awesome. I've learned so much, mostly from, I mean, certainly from colleagues and others, but mostly from the people who use our services. So why do you love what you do? You got to love it if you're there for 31 years. Sure. People with disabilities have been on a journey uh, for decades and decades both here in Canada, around the world. And that journey is not over. Um, You know, years ago, we used to see people with disabilities as someone different and people that should be othered or set aside from uh, typical society. And and I'm so grateful that we've learned that that is so not the case and that our communities are better when everybody has an opportunity to belong and uh, and contribute. Um, but the, uh, I guess the work that Christian Risen says is to be the lever or the catalyst uh, providing the right services and supports so that people actually have the opportunity to belong. When people face challenges around housing or services to help them get a job or to live just day-to-day life that so many of us take for granted, in the absence of those services, people are left out. And so Christian Risen's job is to, to fill in that gap so that people both are contributors and participants in their community, but also that the community benefits from their presence and contribution. Mm-hmm. That's what I get excited about. And I guess when I started my career 31 years ago, um, things were pretty different. And I think we've made some great progress, but there's so much work still to do. Mm-hmm. So what does Christian, so what we heard is kind of the idea behind Christian Horizons. Right. What do you actually do at Christian Horizons? And sure. I, I mean, I, here's another big question is like, I think some people assume Christian Horizons is just this small organization um, <laughs> and maybe break that bubble for us. Yeah, and I guess we're kind of small, but we're kind of big because our focus is communities. Our our focus is 
each individual person, their, the, the way that they want to live their life in their community with their friends and their family. And then organizationally, we actually have grown quite large. We are the largest service provider in Canada, and we provide direct services uh, across Ontario and across Saskatchewan. We also fund projects around disability broadly in um, six developing countries around the world. So yeah, we're a pretty big organization. In Canada, we have about 3,500 employees that work alongside people in their communities every day. And what do we do? Well, we have um, residential support programs and that's our focus in these days through COVID. And I guess we'll get to the reality of COVID for sure. Um, but we, um, we, we provide residential support. So maybe you might think of a group home or a small community residence of two or three people. Um, that basically our job is to help the people that live there live their lives like you and I live. So whether it's to help them uh, on a day-to-day -day basis around meal preparation and grocery shopping and taking care of their home and being a good neighbor. Maybe it's helping them access a faith community of their choice and maybe facilitating the development of relationships and friendships that, you know, is really the, the, the stuff that good lives are made of. Maybe it's helping them get a job. We, um, we provide supports to families of children as well, providing them respite and opportunities just to take a break uh, in the important care that they do every day. We have um, day supports and employment supports. We help people get jobs. We have this really cool project uh, in partnership with Humber College in Toronto to help uh, young adults actually access post-secondary education in a couple of specific fields. And I think the employment rate of people coming out of that program is over 90%. So over 90% of the participants actually go out and find full-time or part-time work long-term. So just fantastic. I mean, you and I know that when each of us or when our kids or our loved ones, people that we care about, when you see them launch, um, people with disabilities, our job is to maybe help them launch. That's so good. Now, and this is very different than in the past. You know, we were talking about 31 years ago, we talked about, and I, I mean, I grew up, you know, a little bit about my story. And I grew up in a family that was very involved with people living with intellectual or developmental disability. And institutionalization mm -hmm. was the way it was done years ago. Sure. So what has changed? This sounds very different. What you're talking about is very different than what I grew up with. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm really glad you went back there because when Christian Horizons was uh, created um, in 1965, um, a young man named Stephen Reese was born and his parents looked around at the options for him. He was born with a developmental disability. Jim and Adrian were, uh, you know, people of strong Christian faith. Jim was actually an evangelical pastor and he, um, he, he, you know, he really felt called by God in those moments to find out what God's plan for Stephen's birth was. And, you know, initially they were, they were worried and afraid and both were both Adrian, Stephen's mom and Jim, Stephen's dad felt called by God in the moment to, to understand Stephen, not as a burden or a challenge, but a true blessing in their lives, in the, in the lives of their family and turns out the lives of the world because they went on two years later um, to establish Christian horizons. In those days, really all there was for people with developmental disabilities were large warehousing institutions that, you know, we can look back and, and see all the problems with that, but it was all that people knew at the time, right? It was, uh, it was certainly the, uh, we, I've heard from families who uh, told me that when their child was born, doctors told them that 
they must send their children to these institutions, that actually it was selfish for them to keep them at home for their own sake, but that they would have the best life in these institutions. I'm so glad that that has changed, my goodness, because um, we know there's institutions, you know, kept people away from the, the journey of life, from relationships, from uh, love and, 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 and commitment. And um, I'm just so grateful that we have learned in the, you know, in the recent decades that those are not where we want to see people with developmental disabilities live. So Jim and Adrian looked around and they saw the movement of uh, community living starting. So in different places, uh, family groups were getting together and putting together services and supports for people to be able to stay in their communities, to stay connected with their families, to go to school, that sort of thing. Um, and they saw community not as a geographical, Jim and Adrian saw community not as a geographical sort of um, uh, uh, requirement. They saw a community of faith as an, also an option. And so they established Christian Horizons. We started with a summer camp. Um, we established our first group home here in Waterloo uh, in, uh, I think it was 1975, 1976. And then we, we went on to um, create, in partnership with governments, the Ontario government, the Saskatchewan government, all sorts of spaces uh, for people to live and work and be a part of their community. Mm. So that's where we came from. Um, I would say in these days, uh, we have still have much work to do, both from a shaping society's perspectives about people with disabilities you and i know mm -hmm. what it means to see a community where everybody belongs lots of people still don't see that for sure and we saw evidence of that through covid 19. Um, but we also there's a lot of people that don't have access to these supports i think your listeners or your viewers would be shocked to know that here in ontario today there's upwards of 15,000 people on waiting lists who are living at home with aging parents in their 80s and 90s that have the most minimal of supports in their lives. And they're just waiting for the, the big crises to happen when something happens to their parents. You can imagine having an adult child who requires help maybe getting a bath or uh, managing the activities of day to day. And you're in your 80s and 90s there's work for us to do and we must do better to meet those needs for sure. And, and I would say, and I know I've shared this with you, but one of the things that shocked me during this season, I remember in April sitting outside our home and a woman in her, who I would expect is in her eighties started walking in our neighborhood with her son who mm. is developmentally disabled. And um, we had never seen them before. And I've lived in that home for 11 years. And so, and I know she was supporting her son and, and, and I just thought, how have we never seen them before? Um, so they're hidden in our own communities and, 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 and this shocks me. So, so the, 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 you know, the concept for me is, so what do we do? And I know at the beginning of COVID, you and I talked, and when I was hearing about the people that Christian Horizons supports, I remember telling you that I was talking to a friend and, and he said, oh, I totally forgot about the people living in a Christian Horizons home and in COVID, you know, we used, my, my in-laws used to volunteer there. Mm. Oh, I haven't heard anything about them. So why... So, okay, you, I know you guys were working hard. <laughs> yeah, you saw my gray hair <laughs> developing. Why, why didn't we hear about this? So how, how do we still not know is one of the questions. How do we not know that 15,000 people are on a wait list in our province right now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
It's a great question, uh, Ellen. I think that we have different levels of knowledge, right? If you are if you are a family that has a child with a developmental disability or autism, you're probably more aware of the services that are available and the lack of services that are available and the struggle that you have day to day in these uh, in these times. Um, I think if you are a neighbor and uh, you know there's a lady down the street with a, an adult son who lives with her, um, the reality is is that people's perspectives are just we haven't gotten to the place where we see people with developmental disabilities as a part of our community, as a, as a necessary part, not just a, um, I don't know, a, a person who requires care or services, that sort of thing, but actually their presence and their, 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 the gifts of, of just their, their humanness. You know, we believe at Christian Horizons that all people are created in God's image and all people are valuable uh, in God's eyes and in, in, well, and, in my eyes and hopefully in everybody's eyes mm -hmm. in some days, but you know, that concept of value and um, uh, contribution society still hasn't gotten there. And, you know, some of the work and some of the outcomes of even this podcast, I hope is to maybe nudge a question. Like if you have a church, if you're a pastor of a church and you don't have the presence of people with developmental disabilities, not as recipients of charity or benevolence, but as contributors, as leaders, as, as, as congregationalists, as, you're missing out. You're missing out both on what you should be, but also what you could be, right? Um, so many churches, when I look across uh, even our community here in Waterloo, are, there's, there's a real absence of people with developmental disabilities. And if there is a presence, they may sit in the back pew or they may be okay to be there unless, you know, they start to vocalize or communicate in a way that's uncomfortable for people. And then maybe it's time for them to go. And that's not okay. God's plan for our communities wasn't that everything was quiet and perfect and, and smooth. It's, it's messy and it's busy. And uh, we believe that, you know, the church community could go a long way. You know, separate from the church community, I think of employers and looking out my window over at the grocery store across the street. Um, there's nothing that gets me more excited when I walk into a store and see the presence of an employee who has an obvious developmental disability. I mean, certainly I recognize that there's lots of people with disabilities that are working and you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. um, but when I, I get so excited when I see an employer who has gone the extra mile to create an employment opportunity and what employ, employers are telling us, and Mark Wafer, who used to own a, a chain of Tim Hortons, he said the return on investment of hiring a person with a disability was phenomenal. He said, not only are typically the people who he hires great, phenomenal workers, but they also um, contribute to a culture in the workplace that allows for people for, to care for each other, to take care of each other, to help each other, which everybody benefits from. And then with regards to just from a business interest, the percentage of people with a disability in our communities is high. And when you expand that to their families and their circles, a person who's connected to the disability community walking into a business recognizing that that employer hired a person with a developmental disability is really good for business. So that's kind of some of the things that we get excited about. Um, there's a real absence of it right now. And hopefully through, you know, talking about it, providing the right support so people can have access to the, to the right things in their community, and then advocating for, for growth and expansion of, of supports for people so that 15,000 people, those 15,000 people can actually benefit from this, uh, these, these, these kinds of, not just services, changed attitudes, changed opportunities. Um, I truly believe, and Christian Horizons truly believes, that our communities are better 
our communities care for each other more and our, 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 our relationships are stronger when everybody gets to play, when everybody gets to participate. And that includes a person with a developmental disability. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I have heard people say, but I'm, I'm afraid I don't know what to do, or it's awkward. And I think we have to become maybe 2020, a gift of 2020 is to help us become more comfortable with our humanity. Mm. And, and being a bit awkward and not knowing all the answers. Because it's interesting when you say I don't know that I've visited a ministry or a client that actually has a person with a that is an obvious intellectual or developmental disability working there. And so, I mean, it kind of starts at the, I don't know if people have even thought of that. So inclusion means everyone is included. Is that correct? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, inclusion is an interesting word. Um, we don't typically use inclusion as much as, as maybe broader society does, because I was working with this professor out of the, of the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. His name is um, um, uh, Dr. John Swinton, a brilliant man, and he spent his life studying inclusion and the uh, uh, integration of people with disabilities, people with mental illnesses into broader society. And he says, inclusion is great. Inclusion means that there's a space for you. It typically means there's a government legis- uh, legislation or law that requires that you be included. Um, but belonging is what we want to focus on. Belonging means when you're not there, you're missed. It means when you're not there, someone goes looking for you and wants to bring you back. And all of us want to belong. Uh, and particularly people who have been on a journey of not belonging for their entire life and generations before them, belonging to a, a group, belonging to a workplace, belonging to a church community or another faith community, belonging to a neighborhood. That's the goal for sure. So good. So good. And I, I have to say now, one of the things that people have said to me, and I'm sorry, I didn't prep you for this, but um, when I was, so I was supporting a friend last year who was working on an accessible park project Mm -hmm. Um, and not just the park, but the bathroom. So sounds funny, but an accessible bathroom absolutely means that you can belong in your own community because you don't have to worry about being able to use the porta potty with your child who requires toileting help or whatever that is. Um, and the, the when we were doing the fundraiser, what I kept hearing was, but isn't this a government job? Is this our job? And so do you find the same thing in your work with Christian Horizons? I'm so glad you asked that question, Ellen. I think we have absolutely seen it as a government job. And I am so grateful for the many millions of dollars that government gives us every year to provide core services. But I know my life would not be very full if I looked to all the things in my life to be provided by government, Mm -hmm. if I was sort of embraced by government services. For sure, there are services that I want my taxpayer dollars to fund. And for too long, we've seen a person with a disability as the responsibility of government. All of us as, as participants, as players in a community, are the responsibility of that community. And when a community cares for each other, um, I kind of look, I often use this sort of example as of a pie. And I think for too long, we've seen um, that pie, all of the pieces be filled by government institutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were exactly that. Even services in our sector have often, we've seen all parts of a person with a disability's life as being provided by government. And maybe that was easy and maybe it was safe and maybe even... Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, there, there's no question that there is a need for government funded services. But how amazing when a community comes together and mm. says to a little girl mm. who needs help while she goes to the bathroom that you belong in this playground and we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to raise money. Mm -hmm. We're going to change attitudes. We're going to, um, uh, you know, create this accessible bathroom so that you can come and play and you can build friendships and that you belong just like every other kid. Mm -hmm. I am. Um, so, you know, Christian and I, most of our work is here in Canada, for sure, but we get pretty excited about the work we do overseas. And I'll never forget visiting um, Asela, Ethiopia. Um, I'm so sad that I can't go there these days of COVID, yeah. but um, Asela, Ethiopia holds a real special place for me, um, for sure. And um, I, uh, I, I like to run. I like to, I was, at the time, I was actually doing a lot of races. And so I was doing a little bit of running around Asela. And so I got invited to um, their track. They have a um, a, a running track and and it's a pretty impoverished community and, and when you drive to this place you know you're passing all of the the huts and the uh, open sewers and all those sorts of things that we we typically would see in a poor community but when we came in through the the gates of the of the park um, it was a beautiful track and government has really invested in track and field facilities around Ethiopia because there's such a, a athletes from Ethiopia are, are phenomenal, uh, including athletes with a disability. And so I was invited to go and work out, do a few laps with the local disability, um, uh, disabled athletes association. Sorry, I'll get to my point. I'm sorry. Um, so we do this run and I got to be honest. So it's uh, athletes with disabilities and without disabilities and me who stuck out like a sore thumb. And every time I'd round the corner, um, the coach would say, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine, but I don't think I was comparing to the incredible athletes in Acela. But anyway, but after that meeting, we got invited to a meeting. I'm sorry, after the, the run, we got invited to a meeting. And as we sat around the table, there was uh, Christian Horizons Global employees there who I was there visiting. And so that's the, the um, system through which or the organization through which we, we uh, provide funding in, in these communities. And so the employees of, of Christian Horizons Global were there. The head of the um, Athletes with Disabilities Association was there and the regional government. And so what was happening was we were going to fund a project, but they wanted to leverage the relationship with the regional government for a lasting impact. And so what happened was the um, Athletes Association asked me, you know, could you um, fund, we need some equipment, we need some uniforms, we're gonna be competing at a national level. Would you, would you provide, you know, I think it was equivalent of about 5,000 US dollars for this project. And we, we have that money in our budget and we had come to, to make some of these decisions and it's certainly something that we typically would fund. And so we said, yeah, we would be happy to fund that. And then um, they turned to the regional government and they said, you know, we're gonna need some space to store this stuff at the track right? This is a beautiful track. It hosts events of people from all over Ethiopia, the businesses that come and sort of, it's, it's a big deal in that community. And so the regional government then said, sure, we'd love to uh, house that, um, give you some space to, to keep your stuff and have meetings and that sort of thing. And they said, well, that's great. And so we, again, we just funded this project. So there's a, there's a leverage happening or catalyst. So then the people from CH Global and the, and the um, um, partners from the uh, association, they say, but, you know, it'd be really good if that space is accessible and, and you know, sort of mm -hmm. prominent and, and sort of in the front, not way out in the back. And they said, sure, we can do that. And, it, you know, a bit of conversation and negotiation. And then finally it was, and it'd be great if we had some signs. It'd be great if we said, if those signs said, 
the, uh, the athletes in Acela include people with disabilities. And so, you know, the regional government said, yeah, for sure we can do that. That's a great idea. And so we signed it all and got the deal done. But what happened was we, we left there and I was thinking, you know, the uniforms will last a couple of years. The equipment, hopefully a few more years. But the prominence and the place in the community, the changing of attitudes, that will last a lifetime. And that will, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, seep out into employment opportunities. It will seep out into families of children that are born being with a disability, not seeing them as a burden, but as a blessing, just like Jim and Adrian Reese did 55 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the potential of that investment was longstanding and deep. So that's kind of a great example for me of what mm-hmm. Christian Horizons wants mm-hmm. to do both overseas as well as here in Canada, is how do we leverage the, the, the resources that government gives us to, to grow? You know, I, I think about what God said to Moses and, you know, what do you have in your hand? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can, we can see a staff as a staff or we can see a staff as a miracle that parted the Red Sea. And I think for Christian Horizons, um, our relationship with government is incredibly important. Our funders, our donors that contribute to us, we want to take those resources and we want to leverage them to be a catalyst in a community that changes attitudes, that sees real a shift to a, a, a playground that includes every kid in that neighborhood. Does oh, that make sense? That, oh, yeah. When you speak, I like my social justice <laughs> <laughs> heart says yes. And I think what we don't realize, this is actually, this is a justice issue it is a justice. In, our, in our backyard that we don't talk about because maybe it's not as obvious, but this is a real justice issue that the church plays a role in and ministries play a role in, people of faith play a role in. So how do we start talking about it? Like what do, if you were to say to a church leader, how do you just even start thinking about a strategy to create or facilitate a community of belonging for all people? How do you do that? You know, um, just to dial back for a second, I think it is an absolutely a justice issue. And I would say it's such also an opportunity. If I was a church leader, I wouldn't see this as something we must do or must get done. I would see it as an incredible opportunity to grow my church family in a way that not only will deal with people being left out and that's wrong, but it will actually create a better church it will, um, one of my board members who's been a board member and a member of Christian Horizons since we started, I mean, he's an incredible man, but he said he saw Christian Horizons as an opportunity to push the church outside of its walls. And I love that. I love being an extension of the church and, and, and promoting what we truly believe that God created each one of us in his image and each one of us are loved and valued by God. But I also think it's an opportunity inside the church. And when you start to reshape, I I participated in a church service in Ottawa. They're doing some amazing stuff up there. And uh, it's actually where I started to work for Christian Horizons as a casual employee. So imagine my first day at Christian Horizons 31 years ago, and I walked in, I met this fellow named Joe. And Joe, he's just such a man of God. Oh, my goodness. His faith just shone out of him in everything that he did his encouragement, his, his commitment to weekly Bible study, his daily prayer and devotion, and his participation at his church. But in those days, when Joel went to church, and sometimes I got the, had the privilege to go with him, he sat in the back and was kind of accommodated. And it was fine. I mean, in, the day, in those days, we, maybe we didn't know much better. So I'm by no means condemning the church. 
But, you know, I think it was about a year and a half or two years ago, I was up in Ottawa and I watched Joe stand on the altar with the pastor and share the sermon. Then he went on to actually be one of the Eucharistic ministers and gave communion to the church. And I thought, wow, this is it. This is when I think of kingdom coming mm-hmm. and the, 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 what our God intended for our communities to be, that was a great example for me. Mm-hmm. So if I could encourage a church, just, I don't know what the right step is. It depends on your church, but I guarantee you there's people in that church who have a connection to people with disability. So maybe the first question is asking them. Actually, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell another quick story. Is that I okay? love your stories. You're making me cry, though. <laughs> it's good. And maybe it's um, maybe it's um, it's a little bit harsh, uh, maybe, but it's it's a really great learning opportunity. Uh, there's a pastor in Ottawa that I, uh, you know, I've traveled. He's he's come and actually been a part of our some of our work in South Sudan. And his name is Jeff Scott. Terrific guy. Um, Long term, uh, we've known him for years. He and his wife Ruth. And um, Jeff said to me one day, he said, you know, Janet, there was this family that I had the privilege of counseling one day from, you know, they came to see their pastor and they were considering abortion because they had just um, found out that their child was going to be born with profound disabilities. And uh, they were being, you know, sort of, it was being advised that they consider abortion. And he said, you know, they came to see me because they were really troubled and they, they didn't, um, they didn't want to have an abortion, but they didn't know what, what else was out there. And so he, you know, shared his perspective that that child was a gift from God and that child, God had a plan for that kid, just like every other kid that was being born in these days and all days. And um, they went on and they didn't have the abortion and the child was born and the child was born with profound disabilities. And, you know, initially when he was an infant, they would come to the church and as he became a toddler, they would come to the church and he would go to the childcare and maybe even around three or four, um, he was invited or he would be a part of children's church and then he stopped seeing this family. Like they'd see him once in a while or he'd see the mom or he'd see the dad. And, you know, he was busy pastor. Life took all over and, you know, in his life and that sort of thing. But he ran into these fam- this family a couple of years later. And he said, you know, we haven't seen you at church lately. We haven't, you know, had the pleasure to, to see, you know, so-and-so um, as a child. And uh, he said, how come? Have you changed church? Did you move? You know, wh- where are you guys? And he said, well, and so the, the mother and the father kind of looked at each other and gave each other a hard look, like, you know, you, the look that you give when you're thinking, do I tell you or do I soften this? And they decided to tell him. They said, you know, to be honest, church is too hard. We're tired of when our child acts up, people looking at us with disdain. We're tired of being called to children's church and asked to, I'm getting emotional, um, mm. asked to take my child home because they're just, they're just causing a disruption. Mm. We're tired of being the people that are left out. And um, so church got too hard. So we just stopped coming. Mm-hmm. And Jeff in that moment just felt like he got hit with a, a, a bowling ball right in the stomach. Mm-hmm. And he said, we have absolutely blown it. Um, you know, if there's one thing that that church should have been would be to walk with that family as they raise this child, mm-hmm. the child that he advised them not to abort. Mm-hmm. He knew that God had a plan for, but mm-hmm. the church let them down. So, you know, if I was saying to a, I'd tell that story to a pastor and say, Figure it out. Don't see a person with a disability as a recipient of charity or benevolence or those mm-hmm. poor unfortunates. See them as a contributing member, as an equal, mm-hmm. as a citizen, as a potential Eucharistic minister or a, a, a children's church leader or whatever the gift of the person brings because mm-hmm. the churches are missing out. Mm-hmm. 
Janet, that I'm so glad you took the time to share that story because I, I feel it too. And I've experienced it personally in church, you know? And so, so I know that it happens and I know this is an important conversation that we need to have. Are you a nonprofit leader passionate about your organization's mission, but unsure how to communicate it effectively? Do you wish your communications budget went further, that your development and communications teams worked better together, or that you had a stronger plan to find new supporters? At Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good, we get it. With you in mind, we've custom built solutions for nonprofit organizations to make your message have more impact, reach further and connect with the right people for years to come. Schedule your free consultation by emailing solutions at grafmartin.com. Again, that's solutions at grafmartin.com. So it almost seems silly to ask, okay, so what happened differently this year and how has your work changed? But it actually is a play off of this because when people with disabilities, if they were included in church, disappeared from their church this year, um, what happened? So how have the people you support been affected in this season? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we did flip to this because this has been, you know, six months has been the most something none of us could have anticipated or expected. Maybe we should have anticipated, um, you know, if we listened to the scientists and maybe we're a bit more real about what was going on in the world, we would have been a bit more ready, but you know, it was, it's what we all got mm. caught. And, uh, you know, I remember Mar last March um, when we had to shift 180 degrees, we had to go from, I mean, at Christian Horizons and many service providers like us, our job is to get people out, go make friends, go socialize, go volunteer, get a job, be out. Mm -hmm. The sign of our success is actually how many connections we help people make. And all of a sudden we had to say, no, you have to stay in. You can't go out. And for people with a developmental disability who may um, have, have, have not been a part of some of those conversations early on, it was a major shift. And, you know, we had to become very focused on, on, um, containment of this virus, of uh, infection prevention and control, of, you know, health kind of, of thinking in our, in our spaces that we had never really considered before. So, you know, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that um, Christian Horizons got through this remarkably well. Mm -hmm. um, there was 1,500 uh, people, sorry, uh, that use our residential services. So we provide support to two or 3,000 people you know, more broadly and, and uh, specifically around community programs and respite and that sort of thing. But specifically, 1,500 people depend on us for their residential supports every day. And we had to go into lockdown. Um, our employees had to shift everything that they did uh, in, in providing supports, in ensuring prevention of infection, of monitoring people uh, initially, no one coming in the home, but now managing visitors and, and, and creating opportunities for families to get together. It has been an enormous amount of work and effort for sure. And, you know, the impact on people has been profound. But, you know, Ellen, I got to tell you, while I would never, I wish this was over today. I wish we were done. Mm -hmm. I can't, um, I, I have to be really transparent. These six months, we have seen the most incredible things from people, the resilience and strength and creativity, um, you know, the people, the 1,500 people that depend on us for services residentially, 
that could have been a, a public health disaster, right? If what we saw in long-term care of mm -hmm. dozens and dozens of people contracting the disease in each space and, and dying, um, we could have been affected by that. In fact, many of our employees work for us and work in long-term care or in other congregate settings. And um, they, uh, you know, the early transfers was often between employees working from place to place. Um, that was a huge shift for us. Our employees had to give up other jobs and, and work 12-hour shifts with us. It was an enormous uh, shift for us. I like to say we, we actually turned 180 degrees in those days. And you might wonder, how did we get through it? Like, how did we do yeah. all this? And I would say um, three reasons. One, I think leadership was really strong. I think leadership at all levels. I think government, Prime Minister Trudeau, Premier Scott Moe, and Premier uh, Doug Ford here in Ontario, um, I think they did fantastic. I think they got out and they, they got money out to us to be able to mobilize the things that we needed to mobilize. Within Christian Horizons, across the board, leadership was outstanding. And immediate communication to all of our stakeholders, uh, including the people who use our services, immediate action, even before government directives were in place, because it did take a number of weeks. Mm -hmm. And people, they, they took action. Um, and I think leadership was one of the absolute keys. The second would have been partnership. Um, certainly, we had the ability to influence up to government policy and directives in the public service. And we had the opportunity to work with organizations and, and just people to make it happen. I mean, whether it was another social services organization, whether it was public health, or whether it was a quilting group here in Waterloo who sewed masks for us. I mean, it was absolutely incredible, the effort that came together. I mean, we had people showing up at our program sites with meals and cookies and signs put on our lawn that said, heroes work here to inspire our staff. Family members, we, we created a benevolence fund right away because like I mentioned, employees had to stop work at other places and fun, funds got tight. It was really intense and it, it continues to be for our staff. Um, and we, so we created a benevolence fund that was for both our employees as well as the people who use our services who lost revenue in their jobs that they couldn't go to. And that was amazing. We saw people contribute to that. Um, it was it just incredible um, commitment of partners across the board. And then the third, and I think the most important for Christian Horizons was people. Our employees went above and beyond. Our employees stepped up. We truly believed last March that we would really struggle uh, for hours and, and supports in our programs. And it has been the absolute opposite. Our employees would you know, wear PPE all day long, 12 hour shifts. Um, when we had an outbreak, we did have a few outbreaks. Those employees had to move into hotels to keep their own family safe while they continued to work at Christian Horizons to provide care for people. Mm -hmm. We had employees that moved from Hamilton to Whitby to be able to support teams that were in outbreaks, doing jobs they never knew that they had to do or never knew how to do, and they just were outstanding. So, you know, the, the level of commitment that we had from people and then families, families that had to sit back and say, you know what? I'm not going to be able to visit my loved one for four months. Imagine how hard that would be not to see oh. your daughter for four months. And they absolutely worked with us. Uh, it was just, I, I, I get goosebumps thinking about mm. the people that made this happen. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then, you know, if you think about a group setting where there's two, three, four people who live together, who are used to going out to work and volunteer activities into the gym, into the movies, into church, all of a sudden they're home 24-7. The creativity 
of things that they came up with. We had a, a backyard decorating contest. And so, you know, the competitive spirit came out. We had um, 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 campfires in living rooms where we simulated campfires, not real campfires, but, you know, jam <laughs> ones, and um, roasted marshmallows and made s'mores. And, you know, uh, a group of women down in Chatham, they, um, they spent their time making cards to send to the long-term care center down the street to encourage the residents there. So not only were the people supported being encouraged, they were encouraging others. Like just, yeah, amazing. It was an amazing experience. And while I wish it was over and never had ever happened, the stuff that happened throughout it absolutely inspires me. So one of the one of the things that people may not realize is that while many of us have kind of gone back to a lot of our normal routines and going to restaurants, wearing masks, but still we can get go to restaurants or get takeout or go to the park. What does life look like for the people that you support? Because they haven't had the same opportunity yet in this community of belonging. Yeah, it's a great point. And um, it's something we really kind of struggle with, right? It's how do you um, keep people safe in, in spaces that include employment and, and and as well as people who live there mm-hmm. and facilitate what we all believe in about equality and citizenship and, and contribution. And it has, we have to follow government directives. Um, government have been very clear because, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's real risk for people that live in spaces, even if there's, our spaces are pretty small. They're not like long-term care where there's, you know, hundreds of people that live together. Typically it's three or four, maybe five people that live together, but that might also include a, 12 or 15 person staff team and there's still a lot of people in that space and so there's Mm -hmm. been intelligent uh, thoughtful um, decisions made by government to to manage that space to keep people safe and like I said I think we have done remarkably well in both in Christian Horizons and broadly across the developmental services sector Um, but you know we're right now we're in the process of 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 helping people re-engage and Mm -hmm you know, reconnect with community because just like all of us, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of going out for a meal or getting my hair cut, I still haven't done that. I really need to do that. Um, <laughs> all those things are as important to a person who uses our services as a person um, who doesn't, right? Like just, you know, somebody that uh, you know doesn't have those restrictions. One of the things that we've done early on is we have a uh, internal group called Our Voice Matters, and it's a group of people who use our services, and they have a formal uh, membership and uh, kind of a, a self-advocate group, so to speak, and that's right across the organization. And so we've been actually relying on their advice as well, and they've had some wonderful ideas about how we help people. For example, how do we help people learn to use a mask when they go out? How do we help people to physically distance? You know. We struggle with the idea of social distance because we don't want to be socially distant, but we have to be mm-hmm. physically distant. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we help people who, you know, have a, a faith community that they have relied on for 20 years watch on video that, you know, th- those are big things. And how do you be a part of a community through a video? Um, I would say, you know, depending on the person who uses our services, there's probably been uh, differences, right? For some people, um, they've been able to actually re-engage quite similar to you and I and other people who require heavier supports or maybe don't understand the, the need for physical distancing or aren't able to wear a mask. That's a bit tougher for sure. And so we look at each situation, we get advice from our Voice Matters group, and we work with the family to try to come up with the best solution for sure. 
It's tough. My heart breaks, absolutely breaks for families who are desperate to meet. And, you know, I had one person um, that uses our services say to me, you know, my job at a grocery store is essential. Mm-hmm. Yet I live in a group home for supports. How do we manage those two things? And it's a really good point. Uh, Janet, your job as a leader has been stretched and challenged and all those things this year. So is there anything you've started doing that you want to keep doing post COVID or anything that you've stopped doing that you're like, yeah, I'm glad I stopped doing that. We're not going to do that anymore post COVID. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Um, I think one of the things that we've uh, done at Christian Horizons is really tried to have a posture of listening to the people who use our services. We were already on a journey to move from what we call person-centered support, which is a person at the center of their supports and the idea that things are built around them based on that person, which is is very good. But we've been on a journey to move to person-directed support. And that is basically that a person is really in the driver's seat a person with a disability, and that they are going to determine their path. And so, uh, you know, once we got our legs underneath us in COVID, we thought, well, what a great time to actually, let's go back and, and, and check in with each person and see how they're doing. What have they learned about themselves in COVID? What are the services that they say, you know what, I love that. I don't want to go back to that one. Um, you know, some of our congregate day supports, maybe we don't reopen those. Maybe we, we, you know, we've individualized those and broken them down, and maybe it's a matter of helping more people get jobs in, out in the community um, or whatever. So I think you know, some of those things, this will definitely, there'll be blessings in this that we learn how to support people differently and give people more prominence and, and, and power in the way that they direct those decisions about their lives. As an organization though, you know, I, uh, I gotta be honest, a lot of organizations are talking about technology and technology has been terrific. Don't get me wrong. Us being able to connect mm-hmm. like this by technology mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, we've been able to check in with people through, you know, different forums and, and web-based platforms so quickly and efficiently, efficiently and inexpensively, right? Like we're not having to travel and put, pull people together. But I could never, ever say that technology will replace people. Um, mm. The reason that we got through this, when I go back to, you know, those three leadership partnership people is how we got through COVID-19. And, you know, the, the supports that we offer people, they may include technology, you know, in the years to come to, to enhance their independence and their ability to manage their, their own lives and direct their own lives. But people are Christian Horizon's strength. And, uh, I, I actually can't wait to get back to be with people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. Now, Janet, where can our listeners go to get more information or be involved? Or if there's a leader who's like, how do I integrate um, all people in my organization? How do they find oh. that information out? We would love to talk to them. Uh, certainly Christian Horizons website, so christianhorizons.org, um, is uh, sort of the first portal into uh, the information. We're actually in the process of redesigning our website, so there will be some new looks in the coming months. Um, it's not quite ready yet, um, but there's there's lots of connections there. There's resources for families. There's resources for churches and or, or other faith communities. There's certainly resources for people with disabilities and, and information about the work that we do. Um, there's opportunity to participate in the work we do, whether that's as a volunteer, as an employee, or as a donor. 
We welcome people to join our journey. We would love to talk to you. Um, but to, to certainly our website, we have supports and services, as I mentioned, across Ontario and, many, and in many places in Saskatchewan. So depending on where you live and what you want to do, um, we might have people that could even uh, be available for a message at a church on a Sunday or to, to share about Christian Horizons work and the journey of people with disabilities um, and how what that could mean for their church. Maybe today it'd be by Zoom, but hopefully in the months and years ahead, it could be in person. So we'd, we'd be thrilled to do that. Um, you know, there's a, a video on that website about the family camp. And this is one of our projects that I am actually most excited about in these days. Even this year, we were able to host family camps virtually. But usually, in non-COVID pandemics, we, um, we host this, this camp both in the summertime and in the wintertime, where we bring families together, family who, that in, families that include a person with a developmental disability, child or adult, and we bring them together for a week. It's entirely funded through our donors and through our uh, relationship with churches. Um, but it is a week or a weekend, depending on which one you choose, that families tell us Give us the the give them the energy, the will, the ability to get through the rest of the year. Mm. Um, there's a video on our camp that says, and the and or sorry, on our camp on our um, website, and it ends with a little girl saying, "You should be here." And uh, for families or people with developmental disabilities, check that out as well because um, getting involved in our family camp programs is just a an incredible encouragement to anybody that I've uh, whether it's as a a camper or a participant or as a volunteer, it is an incredible opportunity. So good. So there is room for us to be involved, which is a really good thing. I like that. Janet, is there anything else that you would like your peers in who are leaders across Canada to know as they as they look at this season and the choices that they're making? Yeah, you know, Ellen, thank you for asking that. I think I would be remiss if I didn't um, also comment, uh, you know, back to our global work. Here in Canada, it's, this is intense for sure. And I believe that we're going to hit a second wave soon. And I, I, I believe our, our days, our, our difficult days are not over yet. Um, and, and for sure, that is, uh, that is um, we'll, we'll see, right, in the next month or two, what happens with that. Um, but when I think globally, particularly globally about people with disabilities, COVID-19 is, um, you know, it compounds already incredibly difficult lives. You know, I've heard that uh, the United Nations will expect that, you know, many, many more people will die of a lack of nutrition than they will of COVID, not because of, you know, that what COVID does to them, but purely because they can't go out and get food. They can't go out and make money to be able to buy food because of COVID. And, you know, those are on a global level, on a, you know, human level, that, that is a, a, um, an impending um, reality that the world is going to struggle through. But when I think of a person with a disability, I was in this um, um, uh, uh, slum in, in Kampala, Uganda, a couple of years ago, and it was an awful place. It's an awful place. So many people live in deep, deep poverty and, you know, cycles of poverty that they just can't seem to get out of. The smell is, is, is so intense and, and bad of open sewage pits. And, you know, you see this sadness on people's face and the loss of hope. And I remember coming around a corner and I ran into this young woman who um, lived there. Um, she had an obvious developmental disability. I think she was a woman with Down syndrome. And she was about eight months pregnant. 
And the reason she was eight months pregnant is because not only does she live in, in that slum, not only does she probably struggle on a day-to-day basis just to, to stay alive, but because she has a developmental disability, she's also assaulted regularly and there's mm-hmm. no one who steps in because she's not worthy. She's, you know, a person with a disability is so often in those communities shunned even lower than the, 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 how hard it is already to live. And, and she was used and, and, and abused by, by many people. And I think of her in these days of COVID-19 and how hard her life must be. Um, you know, I, yeah, if she's mm-hmm. even still alive, right? But there's, there's countless others that are like this young woman. And, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't sort of stay for a moment. And if, you know, whether it's church communities praying, whether it's development organizations, you know, we have, we have great organizations across Canada mm-hmm. that are doing amazing work in international development. I implore them to include people with disabilities on their agenda. I implore them to consider the most marginalized, a woman with a developmental disability in those communities has the hardest life of anybody that I can imagine. And we can't forget about them. Mm. And then COVID-19 on top of that, mm. like it just, it boggles my mind. So each of us, whether it's to contribute to the work Christian Horizons Global does or to another great international development organization, whether it's for prayer support or whether it's, you know, doing what you can even in your local community, each of us has an opportunity to, to contribute here, even though we're still trying to figure out how we make, make it through ourselves. Janet, it is, it is genuinely my privilege to get to be both your friend and to work alongside you um, because this is such important work. And I am so grateful that you, you and your team are so dedicated. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think that everyone who listens in today um, will have learned immensely. <laughs> um, thank you for taking the time to teach us. And uh, yeah, I know we'll keep talking. Yeah, thanks so much, Ellen. It's an absolute privilege to uh, to be with you and to, to to know you and to know the the things that you're committed to. And by sharing this story, I hope that it does um, inspire people to action. I also hope it encourages families who maybe feel very alone in their journey with their loved one who experiences disabilities, and know that there's organizations like Christian Horizons and lots of other ones that are doing terrific work. And the leadership and the the everybody that's a part of these organizations have, you know, through COVID-19, but generally other days, they're so committed to changing the world in this regard. And I think together we're making progress and I'm very optimistic and hopeful about the future. So thank you for this opportunity. Excellent. Excellent. Again, thank you, Janet. And if you are interested, if you're listening and you're interested in finding out what you can do and how you can be involved and just to even learn some more, visit christianhorizons.org. Yeah. Thanks again, Janet. Thanks so much. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. Graf Martin is Canada's leading integrated marketing and communications agency for nonprofit organizations seeking to do more good. If you need an agile, full service marketing agency to move your organization forward, we get it. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation so that you can do more good. 